Good afternoon and welcome to the Friday edition of the Manitoba Farm Journal. I'm your host, Corey Canute. Coming up this afternoon, we'll get an insect update from Manitoba agriculture entomologist John Gavlosky. Up first in today's country comment, Vikram Bisht with the province will give us an update on the potato crop. The latest farm news and market numbers all coming up over the next 60 minutes. The time now is 12 o'clock. Here's a look at our local news. Good afternoon. You're listening to the Manitoba Farm Journal. Joining us on the program now is Vikram Bisht with Manitoba Agriculture to give us an update on the province's potato crop. The crop is uh, highly variable and as you would understand, uh, the water and the heat uh, have uh, basically combined forces to affect many crops. Uh, in some areas, there's uh, sufficient water for potatoes. Uh, that's mostly in the west, and they are doing fairly well. Uh, on the uh, areas or places where we have uh, good irrigation, uh, the heat has affected uh, the plants by you know, uh, producing heat runners and some tuber chaining, but uh, we have seen this happen in other years. The places where we have uh, lack of uh, irrigation, not uh, being able to meet the crop water need, that is where we will uh, probably have some uh, problems with uh, tuber uh, quality and uh, uniformity. Uh, also, we realize this may affect some yields, and uh, that's the unfortunate part. What uh, stage is uh, most of the uh, crop at now? Uh, the uh, potatoes in most places are in bulking stage, anywhere from uh, one size to three, three and a half inch size. Uh, early planted, well irrigated crops are doing uh, uh, pretty good. Uh, and uh, the places where there is uh, not too much shortage of water, uh, obviously the plants are not doing well. What about uh, insects? Insects, uh, it is surprising that uh, this year we don't have too much uh, Colorado potato beetles uh, creating trouble. Uh, we have uh, aphids, which have uh, shot up in uh, populations. And for the seed growers, it can be an issue. And so I've been recommending that they use uh, uh, aphid crop oil and uh, insecticides at regular intervals to manage and uh, virus transmission. There was uh, an European corn borer survey that we have been doing. Uh, the problem is mostly in the western part of Manitoba, where many fields are already seeing insect borer damage. It may directly not affect the crop yields, but uh, it leads to secondary infection with uh, stem rod bacteria. And uh, that uh, happens when the crops uh, settle down and there is hardly any air movement within the crop canopy. So overall, it will not be a very big issue. And according to the report here, um, we're starting to see more cases of uh, early blight. Talk about that. Yeah, early blight uh, uh, is 
showing up in more uh, crops, more fields. It is uh, more often seen in ranges assets and some early maturing varieties. Uh, and uh, because of the dry air, it may not uh, take off or become very severe. Regular protectant fungicides should uh, be sufficient to manage it. And uh, unlike in some other jurisdictions in the U.S. where the early blight uh, is a very severe disease. Fortunately, we don't have it very severe in Manitoba in most years. So it is a manageable disease for us. Any other disease issues? At the moment, uh, not much. There were, you know, findings of some virus diseases and uh, uh, some rhizoctonia is showing up. Uh, we uh, regularly see uh, drift uh, herbicide drift issues, and this year is uh, not anything new. So, but it is all what we normally see. So, nothing out of the ordinary at the moment. That was Vikram Bish with Manitoba Agriculture updating us on the province's potato crop. A look at what's happening in the markets this afternoon is coming up. Good afternoon. I'm Corey Canute. Manitoba Agriculture is giving an update on the potato crop. Here's Vikram Bish. The crop is uh, highly variable, and as you would understand, the water and the heat have uh, basically combined forces to affect many crops. In some areas, there's uh, sufficient water for potatoes. Uh, that's mostly in the west, and they are doing fairly well. And last week, the Markets Farm team held their July Markets Outlook Summit. Senior Markets Analyst Mike Dubinville focused in on oil seeds and pulses. He talked about canola. Dryness and the intense heat that came through June and into the first half of July has really impaired the crop, generally speaking, uh, at some pretty key reproductive phases of development. So we can see some recovery if we see regular moisture, moderating temperatures going out through the remainder of the growing season. Maybe if we had hope for some favorable harvest weather. Uh, sure, that's possible. Uh, but there is already significant crop damage already done, in my opinion, with uh, certainly some irreversible yield loss. So right now I'm using 17 million tons in terms of uh, crop potential for this year. Uh, there's plenty of talk in the marketplace of being even less than that. That was a look at today's farm news. I'm Corey Canute. Good afternoon and welcome to the Prairie Egg Wire. For Friday, July 30th, I'm Corey Canute. Coming up today, we'll get an insect update from Manitoba. Grasshoppers continue to be an issue in parts of the prairies. John Gavlosky is an entomologist with Manitoba Agriculture. It's still quite variable. Um, there are some areas where um, certainly people can find them, but they're not really doing crop damage. And there are other areas where they are doing crop damage. So it, it really is quite variable across the province. Um, some of the crops that seem to be having some of the higher levels are the pastures and to some degree some of the cereal crops, in a few areas, canola. Um, pasture lands, one of the things that we often recommend for grasshopper control there is doing a technique, uh, we call it reduced area and agent treatments, but really what it is is spraying in strips where instead of just spraying the whole pasture, you do... Um, 
maybe 100 feet or so of spray or a boom or two, and then leave an untreated strip and then do another treated strip and just do it alternating strips like that. There's been research on this in uh, Wyoming, University of Wyoming, and what they found was when they treated a whole pasture, they got 95% control, which is pretty good. When they did it in strips, so basically half of the pasture was treated, they got between 80 and 90% control. And the reason that works is because grasshoppers move around a lot. So um, especially if you're using a, um, some of the higher residual products that might cost a bit more, it helps keep your costs down and still give you effective control. And plus you're saving some uh, refuge for beneficial insects. Now, what are we uh, seeing in terms of um, diamondback moth? Diamondback moth seems to be more of an issue in the east and the interlake region. Um, again, things are variable. Some people are saying, yeah, we've got them, but they're not near threshold. And other people are saying that they're definitely above threshold. So there has been some spraying for diamondback moth, mainly in the, again, the east, southern interlake regions. One thing I'm um, just uh, advising people about is uh, look at what they're doing, look at uh, are they feeding on pods, because really it's the pod feeding. If they're doing that and doing a lot of it, that's what uh, can be significant. Feeding to flowers usually isn't a concern. The plants can compensate for that and the plants overproduce, but do just keep an eye on how much pod feeding they're doing and, and uh, do your foot square counts. Uh, threshold we tend to use is about 20 or 30 per foot square of canola. And don't get too freaked out if you are using a sweep net and you catch a lot of larvae in the sweep net. That really doesn't, it, it tells you it's good to do some foot square counts, but it doesn't tell you your spray situation because the net covers a lot of plants and you can sometimes get quite a few larvae in a, a sweep sample and still be well below the threshold. And wanted to touch a bit on uh, spider mites in uh, soybeans. Yeah, so spider mites do better in hot, dry years, such as this. Uh, they're tiny little, they're not an insect, they're a mite, they're tiny little things. Uh, they're often on the underside of the leaves. They do make some webbing, and they're, they usually start on the lower leaves, and there's usually a very heavy edge effect. There can be exceptions to that, but usually it's an edge effect where you notice some of the plants along the edge are, uh, some of the leaves are maybe turning yellow or brown, if you're not quite sure if it's spider mites, one way to do it is take a tray or take even a clipboard and put a piece of um, either white paper or even better black paper on the clipboard and just shake the leaves over that, and you'll see these little dots moving all over the place. Those are the spider mites. Um, often, it, again, it is an edge effect. Uh, very rarely does a person have to treat a whole field for it. That can happen. Um, but just, yeah, keep an eye on the levels. They, they do better under dry conditions. If we were to get some rains, that could really help the situation. But uh, hard to say if that'll happen. And just an overall thought on, on the drought, on the dry conditions. Um, what impact is that, you know, for insects? Um, what, what impact does the dry, dryness have, I guess, on crop damage or, or just on the amount of insects that we're seeing? Well, uh, it's a tricky question because um, insects are so different uh, that, that it's hard to say it makes it a worse insect year or it makes it an easier one because it, what it does is it puts less, uh, it puts some insects at less risk and some at more risk. So grasshoppers do better under the dry conditions. 
spider mites I already mentioned do better under the dry condition. So you've got a few that seem to prefer these drier conditions. Then you have others that prefer wetter conditions. Some of the midges, sunflower midge, you barely see them usually under dry conditions. You see more under wet conditions. Um, uh, the one that people don't like, mosquitoes, same thing. If they don't have standing water, you don't see those around. Um, so there, there's, it really depends on the insect quite a bit. The one thing, though, that it does do is for some of the generalists, like grasshoppers, it reduces the other plants that they will feed on. So grasshoppers, uh, three of our four pest species are generalists. They feed on lots of different things. And even the fourth one, the clearwing grasshopper, the grass specialist, they feed on lots of different types of grasses. And often the, the ditches, the, the natural areas, have a lot of grasshoppers in them. But when the ditches are and the roadside areas are drying down because of dry weather or they're being cut, uh, that just moves the grasshoppers crops more. That was John Gavlosky, entomologist with Manitoba Agriculture. That's it for the Prairie Eggwire for today. If you have any questions or opinions to share, send them to us by email, thefarmdesk at goldenwest.ca. I'm Corey Canute. Thanks for listening and have a great afternoon. The Prairie Eggwire will return next week on the Golden West Farm Network. Time now for a look at the farm calendar. The annual general meeting for Farm Credit Canada is scheduled for August 18th at 1 p.m. This will be held in a virtual setting. Visit the FCC website for details on how to join. And Manitoba Agriculture is offering an online environmental farm plan workshop August 25th. Visit the Manitoba Agriculture website to register. Continuing with the Manitoba Farm Journal here on this Friday afternoon... Late last October, Federated Cooperatives Limited began their $5 million expansion project at the Brandon Fertilizer Terminal. That project is now complete. Reporter Betty Swatsky caught up with Matt Conacher, Senior Manager of Fertilizer. Our Brandon Terminal, we first opened it about four years ago now. And um, since then, we've had quite a bit of success, customer demand. It's been excellent and it's really exceeded our expectations. So. With that being said, we, we did a project and we decided let's, let's go ahead and expand the terminal. So we expanded the terminal, so now it went from 27,500 tons to 36,500 tons. And so we're, we're very excited about, about this expansion. We started the project last November and then we finished up here about in, in mid-July. We're just tying the last little pieces in right now, but we are officially receiving product in. What prompted this expansion project? The expansion really, it was it was to help out our local co-ops and to help service grower demand in, in the area. We saw that um, as far as our facility was moving, it was, it was doing better than expected. So we thought, you know what, if we could bring in more specialty products to help support our, our vision and to support for, for our nutrient stewardship, then then we should do this. And especially because uh, we, we do feel like we'll have the, the, the inventory turns to justify the expansion dollars. So what does this mean then for uh, local farm customers that you have there at co-op? Yeah, so well, we'll be selling to the local co-ops who then in turn will be selling to the farmers. But with this expansion, we'll have... We'll, we'll be able to carry more of a diverse product offering out of the, the shed. So before we had four storage bays, so it was hard to really have too many products outside of outside of four. We were able to, but it was it was taxing on our staff. But now we have seven bays. So with that, we'll be able to bring in more specialty products that'll help growers really pinpoint what they want for for their crops. 
Does this expansion also include um, increase in, in folks who need to be staffing that, that facility? No, no. So we actually, we did hire one more operator last year to help keep up with the, the work that's going on at, at the facility, but we won't need any more staff members to, to operate this facility. More than anything, we're just really excited that we have this, um, this facility up and running, and, and we really do think that there's going to get a lot of value out of it out in the, the farm gate. So we, we know that things are challenging out there today, and, and hopefully we can help keep debottlenecking the supply chain with, with having these products on hand. That was Matt Conacher with Federated Cooperatives Limited talking about their expansion at the Brandon Fertilizer Terminal. He was speaking with reporter Betty Sawatsky. Another look at what's happening in the markets heading into the close is coming up in just a moment. Time now for another look at today's farm news. The Markets Farm team held their July Markets Outlook Summit last week. Senior Markets Analyst Mike Jubinville focused in on oil seeds and pulses. He talked about peas. On the production side, we're forecasting in the area about 3.5 million tons this year and certainly uh, well down from the the previous two years on that. So, we, we, again, we are looking at a tightening inventory developed. And Manitoba Agriculture says potato quality is highly variable depending on the region and rainfall amounts. Here's Vikram Bisht. On the areas or places where we have uh, good irrigation, the heat has affected uh, the plants by producing heat runners and some tuber chaining, but uh, we have seen this happen in other years. Bisht says potato fields in the western part of the province seem to be doing fairly well. I'll be back after this to wrap up today's program. We've come to the end of another Manitoba Farm Journal. I'm your host, Corey Canute. If you have any questions or comments, you can reach us by email, thefarmdesk at goldenwest.ca. Today's closing numbers with more in-depth commentary on what's happening in the markets is coming up at 10 to 2 on the Markets Farm Program. Thanks for listening and have a great afternoon. Hope you can meet us back here on Monday starting at 12 noon.